Hello, welcome to Tales from the Albright, a podcast by the Scranton Public Library. Hi, everybody. This is Alyssa. Hello. <laughs> I am a reference librarian at the Albright Memorial Library. Yeah, and I'm Brianna. I am our young adult coordinator, so I do a lot of programming with the teens, and I work in circulation here at the Albright. Um, if you have ever come to a teen program, maybe you've seen me. We are going to be talking about A Snake Falls to Earth by Darcy Little Badger. This book, um, you can see we have the beautiful, this is the uh, sleeve, but then we also have the beautiful um, under the sleeve actually printed on the book cover art. We each read it in different forms here because yes. Alyssa doesn't like the book sleeves. I don't like the book sleeves. They kind of just annoy me. So yes. I always take them off. <laughs> But yes, we both read this book because it is going to be Libby's Big Library Read for November. So the Big Library Read is a program that Libby, who is our ebook and e-audiobook provider, they have this program where every, I think it's three to six months, the last one they did was in the summer, mm -hmm. they feature a book. So this time it is A Snake Falls to Earth. And in featuring this book for two weeks only, there are no holds. So anyone and everyone can borrow it. You are more than welcome to check it out. There will be no holds list. You can immediately get to read it either in ebook or in e-audiobook form. So that is a super exciting thing here at the library. We love when there's no holds on something. So we decided to celebrate and to promote this coming up. It is going to be running from November 2nd to the 16th. So anytime during that, feel free to check it out using your Libby app. Um, and you will get to read it. Or you can always come into the library because we have these beautiful physical copies as well. So we hope you will check out the big library read. And if you do read it, please comment below and let us know. Or stop in and talk to us about it. Yes, let us know your thoughts. We enjoyed it, so I think that you will enjoy it too. Yes. To start our discussion, we are going to talk about some general information. So A Snake Falls to Earth is, like we said, by Darcy Little Badger. She is a Native American author. She published this book in November of 2021, so it's just turning a year old. It is a young adult fantasy slash magical realism that focuses on indigenous cultures and indigenous mythology. So it's a really cool like fantasy mythology sort of mix, um, but also that magical realism of like magic in the real world. So it's yes. really cool. Yeah. Do you want to tell us about our characters? Sure. The main characters are Nina and Ollie. Nina is a human girl from our the earth that we know today. She lives in Texas and she has her grandma and her dad and then her great great grandma who is Rosita who tells her a bunch of Lipan Apache mythologies and stories that she works throughout the book to try and translate and to hold on to the culture that her family does have. Yeah, so it's really cool. We get to sort of alternate between Nina's perspective in the real world and Ollie's perspective, which is in the reflecting world or the world of spirits and spirit animal creatures, um, which is really cool to get to see. As Brianna said, Ollie is from the reflective world and he is what they call in the book an animal person. So he can transform from, his form is a cottonmouth snake. So he can turn from a cottonmouth snake into a person. There are also a whole cast of characters that live in the reflective world that have other animal forms. There is Ami, who is a toad, he and they find out throughout the book that he is a Dallas toad. And there's Brightest, who is a hawk. And there's also a mockingbird, who, as far as I could tell in the book, does not have a name. There's also Risk and Rain, who are both coyotes, and they are twins. 
So it's a very fascinating story and very fascinating to see how the reflective world that reflects our own world and the species that are in our world in the book and how it is portrayed. So to start our discussion, I wanted us to each share something we liked, disliked, and learned from the book. So for me, I really liked the dual perspective narrative. So we get to alternate between Nina's perspective and Ollie's perspective. And I really like the way we get to jump between those two worlds. I think it makes it really exciting to go back and forth and get to be in each place. Um, and it really moves the story along. I really enjoyed how it highlighted a different culture within the larger North America. Mm -hmm. um, because often you don't hear about traditional tales from indigenous people. And it is nice to have a life in Apache story that is completely approachable and accessible to young adult readers, adults, whoever is interested in reading it in a way where you're brought into the world where you don't have to have the background knowledge and it slowly introduces you into their own culture and their stories and their mythology and who they are as a people. That's really cool. Uh, see, and that ties to mine, which is my dislike is I wanted even more details that way. Like I wanted more details and stories specifically from Nina's point of view. Mm -hmm. So it's really cool because we get to see her life and we get to see Ollie's life, but we get to see more of how Nina's life ties in with Ollie and everything that's happening. And I really wish that we got to see even more of Nina's sort of like personality and her interests and her family stories. Like I wanted more of that mm -hmm. than we ended up getting in the text. I agree with that. I also feel like the beginning started a tiny bit slow for me. So I think that is the only issue I had. It took me a little bit to get into it. But once you're into it, you're into it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's one yes. of those books. Yes, exactly. It's really good for that. Uh, in terms of what we learned, I really enjoyed, mine's similar to Alyssa's like, which is I really liked learning about the Lip and Apache uh, culture and all of that. Like, it's something that I don't feel like we learn a lot about. I feel like in traditional American schooling, we don't get to learn much about the detail of those cultures, of all the different Native people. And I feel like maybe around here, if anything, we learn somewhat about like the Iroquois and some of the people who lived in Pennsylvania historically, because we learned about Pennsylvania history. But similar to the podcast episode we did about on Juneteenth, and we learned about Texas, it was cool here to get to learn about Texas through this lens of this uh, Native American tribe that was originally from there and Nina's family thus was from there. Yes, and I'm pretty much the same as I mentioned before. Um, I just think it's really nice to learn different cultures, different belief systems and have those thoughts to kind of reflect upon as you go forward. And I really enjoy the trend where all of these stories are being opened up and brought into more of a popular culture type scenario where everyone can learn and enjoy them and learn to appreciate them as I feel like they were silenced for so long. Yeah, and it's cool to see how they like play into modern life. Like Nina's mm -hmm. life is impacted by her culture and we see that as part of her life even as she's using like smartphones and fancy technology and all of the like great things we have of modern life. Like it's still present, it's not died out. These cultures still exist and they're still really prevalent and we just don't always recognize them. Yes, and I think that's a highly important point is that Indigenous cultures are still active. And one thing I, this is later in our notes, but I learned that the Life and Apache are not a federally recognized tribe. They're only recognized by the state of Texas. And I just think that is something that should be explored more. I know a few other tribes, um, I recently went out to the West Coast in Seattle and a lot of the Native American Indigenous people tribes there 
are also not federally recognized. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that is a shame because yeah, yeah, they should be. Yeah. And it's part of people's lives now, like just because um, there was this big period of time where a lot of these cultures were dying out slowly. Like that's a lot of what the book explores is even if things are, are dying out over time, we can still revitalize them and we can still preserve them and respect how important mm-hmm. they are to our lives. And Nina does a lot of that in the book, yes. which is really cool. And I often wonder, I, this again is <laughs> further down in the notes, but it's a good segue. Yeah. Um, I also wonder if the inclusion of not having Nina's great-great-grandma's stories resolved reflects that loss of culture, loss of traditional languages, that have been stamped out by white settlers or Spanish settlers throughout the years. And if that's reflective of it, where we don't get the answers because they don't have the answers because their languages and cultures have been taken away. Yeah, that's actually a really good point because that's something that's really present in this text is we see all the modern technology and it's so great because Nina's like, she's translating what her, mm-hmm. what her great grandmother's saying as she's saying it, but it doesn't recognize this dialect as one that it knows. So mm-hmm. even with all this great technological advancement, it can't always fix or account for those things the way that human beings can, you yeah. know, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was our long winded list of things we really liked, yes. disliked and learned <laughs> about the book. So to start our more in-depth discussion, I know we had mentioned that the Lipin Apache uh, history and culture is a big part of the story. And it's really cool because one of the biggest parts of Nina's story is the idea of storytelling. So she opens the book with hearing her great-grandmother, Rosita, telling her a story and trying to translate it from their native tongue into English and struggling doing that using a translator app. Mm -hmm. And it's really cool to see how, first of all, it was cool how they put in that sort of technology as a thing, because this is written in like the near future. So it's similar to now, but a lot of the tech is a little bit more high tech than we have. But it was really cool to see how they did that with the Native American Mm -hmm. languages. Yeah. I think it's also a hope in the future that language technology now, because I do know that there are certain programs that you can get where it will pretty much instantly translate native languages into other languages. But having an expansion of that is something that we can all hope for. It would just help everyone. Yeah, that is really cool. I'm really fascinated by that idea of sort of language and barriers to understanding. So like she has this as her sort of goal. And it's really cool because I feel like the assumption is that young people don't care about their history or their background or their family's history. Like there's this assumption that they don't, but this is a great novel, like a young adult novel that shows a teenager who really cares and who really wants to preserve her family's story. And she like makes um, figuring out the story like a puzzle that's like part of her goal throughout the book, which is really cool. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Alyssa made a note here about, uh, Pecos Bill and Lassoing a Tornado. Oh, yes. And now I need to know what that's about. <laughs> oh, so it's a, a Texan folktale oh, that okay. I remember back in when I was in elementary school, we would often watch American folklore videos okay. during okay. our library class. I don't know. <laughs> it's something. And I just remember that there was one on Pecos Bill and he lassoed a tornado and like rode the tornado. Um, wow. <laughs> And oh, that's it, great. When I was reading this book, it just, they do capture a tornado yeah. at one point. And that's just what it reminded me of. And yeah. I know that's very a very, like, white settler Texas perspective on it. But I thought it was interesting to highlight that 
kind of folklore and mythology and cultures all intertwine, even if they are completely separate. Everyone learns from each other and everything can be found. Similar aspects can be found throughout cultures and people. And I think that speaks to one of the big themes we found in this book, which is like, we all share the same earth. Mm -hmm. So it's like a cool idea of like the idea of lassoing and riding a tornado appears in native mythologies and in settler mythologies and all these stories, because we all encounter the same nature, we encounter the same struggles. Mm -hmm. Like, it's interesting how that's something that unifies us. And that feels like something they're getting at with this story. And the way yes. that they're sort of linking these worlds is like, we all are like we all belong to this earth together. We mm -hmm. want to respect it and respect each other and take care of each other and our planet. And I think that's really, really awesome. Yes. Yeah. All right. So then tying to that, there is a big uh, part of this novel that is all about spirit animals. So Ollie and his friends and all of the people in the reflecting world are spirit animals. So they are, as Alyssa explained before, they have a an animal form, which is their natural form, but they can also take on what they call their fake form, which is a humanish like still looks kind of like an animal. Like I know Ollie talks mm -hmm. about how he has scales for eyebrows and yeah, stuff like they're that. They're pictured on the yeah. hardcover um, and all of their animal like characteristics are highlighted with white on the cover. I don't think you can really see it too well here, but yeah, it's very cute. Yes. So it's like you see brightest I know has like um, um, the wings over his yes. ears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So mm -hmm. there's like all those cool little features. Yeah. And then on the back of the book is corresponding to their animal forms yeah so you'll see the drawing representing nina doesn't have an animal form because she is from the earth the kitten that she rescued doesn't have one because it's a cat yeah and then <laughs> it's a cat yeah you know um, yeah i thought it was gonna be a spirit person actually too. when she rescued it because it was saved by the land yes. like the fact that her family's homeland had all these spiritual energies it saved this like dying kitten and i was so convinced that dying kitten was gonna end up being, i was like, a too person. i was like waiting for yep. it but no it's just a cute kitten um but yeah so it's really cool to see their different forms mm -hmm. um so Alyssa, which was your favorite spirit animal my favorite spirit animal was the mockingbird which is a really like that's an interesting choice because the mockingbird's really annoying for most of the book yeah. <laughs> like all they do is annoy everybody else yeah but i feel like that's kind of what makes them likable yeah okay because okay. they may be annoying but they have their own morals that mm. and they do legitimately care about Ami. Yeah. And everything they do is kind of for Ami and they use their kind of annoying characteristic of trying to steal people's breakfast yeah. for good in the end. Yeah. And I think that's really nice to see how things can go both ways. Yeah. Yeah. That is cool. I did think the Mockingbird was really funny because it's like they set them up as sort of like an antagonist and yes. then in the end they really help save the day, which mm -hmm. is really cool. But you'll have to read the book to find out how. Yes. So that was really cool. <laughs> and who was your favorite, Brianna? So I had to say them as a pair because they are quite the pair, but I really liked Risk and Rain, which were the Coyote sisters. Mm -hmm. And I, it's cool because that's part of why I love them is like, you can't separate them. Like in the book, they are, they are a unit. Mm -hmm. um, the cool thing about the reflecting world is that the way that these spirit animal people live is the way that their animals naturally would. And the coyotes are in packs. They stick together. Mm -hmm. They take care of their own. And I really love how the sisters are very strong-willed, but are also very defensive. They take care of Ollie and Ami. Like they're such like loving yes like make a family like they're the ones that are like i think like the parents of this little family like they make it a family yeah. and i really liked them for that they were really cute yeah <laughs> oh yeah so what did you have for us in terms of i know you did some research on species and extinction and all those fun things okay so in a snake falls to earth when 
species become extinct in the real world, our world, our earth, they die also die out in the reflecting world. Mm. So when that happens, the species either, depending on if they're completely extinct or just endangered, they'll become either weakened with lesser numbers or they will completely disappear. Mm. And one of the stories that Darcy Little Badger tells in the book is about the bison, mm-hmm. which when American settlers were moving across the country, a manifest destiny era, prairie area era, they systematically killed almost all of the bison mm-hmm. because it was a way to for them to essentially inflict harm upon the native peoples and native tribes that were already occupying the land that they had occupied for forever. Right, because they relied on them to survive. Mm-hmm. Like, that was their, their yes. source of, of sustenance. Yes, and yeah. there's horrifying photos of just towers of bison skulls, and they killed them for no other reason than that. So in the book, it talks about how at one time the bison people were the strongest group of people in the reflecting world, and then one day they just started disappearing, and now they're a very weakened state. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just an interesting commentary on how impactful it is to purposely destroy species in terms of settlements and what the the settlers perceive as protection, mm-hmm. even if it's actually incredibly harmful. Um, you can also see the same thing with coyotes and wolves, how they were hunted to extinction in places like Yellowstone. And then once mm-hmm. they were reintroduced, it really revitalized the ecosystem and everything's doing much better than it had been because the natural predator-prey chain of life is back, or not completely back, but starting to go back to its normal flow and how it evolved. Yeah, it's really sad to see how, like, we don't really care as much about, like some people do, but a lot of us, we just don't think about the extinction of species and the things that we do that affect them. And the fact that when we need to decimate forests to get wood, we're also killing off a bunch of people, of mm-hmm. creatures that live in this, in this environment. And it's really interesting to me to get to read this perspective because I love how indigenous cultures value animal lives on such a level mm-hmm. that like this is, and I think Little Badger does a great job with it here of like, by creating this reflecting world where she examines this idea of animals as spirit people, it helps us to better see that native perspective of like animals are just as worthy Mm -hmm. of life and just as deserving of our protection and our care. And it makes so much sense now when you read it to be like, Oh my gosh, like it's heartbreaking. Like we see, we see Ami's species dying out and Mm -hmm. that they're trying so hard to save him. And it's just this one little toad, but it like really matters when you have like this connection. And I think that, the author does an amazing job of creating that connection and showing us culturally how that works, even though we might not naturally understand it. Yes. Yeah. And I think it also goes back to, I know I sent it to you. Um, you're able to read the life on Apache myth from the tribe's website online. And in the creation story, the reflecting world is where animals originated and then they travel to earth. So taking that into account when reading the book and knowing that's the culture and the creation story that's based off, it kind of almost doubles the heartbreaking Mm. factor of Mm -hmm. it, of the reflecting world that originated everything is dying out because of what people on the earth are doing. 
Yeah, it is really heartbreaking. And it it's one of the most, I think, like emotionally powerful and resonant parts of this book. And mm -hmm. I really like that a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that ties into the topic of climate change, obviously. So when we get to that, we talk about how obviously our changing nature and environment is going to shape what species can survive and what species are impacted by it. So the cool thing I found, um, and we'll provide these resources for you guys yes. as well. So we will provide this, um, their myth, as well as this NPR interview I found, which is really great with Darcy Little Badger, where she talks about the fact that she actually has um, her bachelor's in geoscience and a PhD in oceanography. So she is an author who is writing from a perspective of someone very well educated on issues of the environment and environmental change. Um, and it's really cool to get to see that she's introducing mm -hmm. that to fiction because she has so much knowledge to bring to the table. Um, and she talks a lot about um, climate anxiety. And she explains in this interview that climate anxiety is something that a lot of young people are feeling, which really makes sense with the fact that she is writing this text for young adults. It's a great story to sort of explore that anxiety that young people are facing that our planet is dying in a lot of ways mm -hmm. and if we have decades to live on this planet we need to find a way to exist on it and to preserve it so that we can all survive yes sort of yeah and it's really cool because in the interview she talks about basically she doesn't believe in hopelessness and her book speaks to that like she believes obviously in the fact that there is hope and that mm -hmm. we can we can do things to preserve and to save and to revitalize the planet that we have and she talks about how important it is to fight for the best possible future that the next generations can experience so i really like that hopeless hopefulness that sort of resists that cultural narrative of doom and gloom mm -hmm. and knowing that we can still make change and we can make the world a better place yes I feel like it's one of yes that things. was Alyssa's reaction <laughs> in our notes too was yes yeah <laughs> and I feel like it's something that we hear on the news and at I feel like you get to a point where it's almost like background noise mm -hmm. yes. but really it does take everyone participating and putting pressure on others to help resolve a lot of the issues that are facing. I know in here it's brought up um, bottling plants going in and taking freshwater sources from mm -hmm. people yeah. um, and using it for bottled water instead of just having a lake. So I think it's things like that that really speak to her background and very contemporary issues that we are facing today as well. Yeah, and we were both curious when we were reading, she refers to the nightmare, which is this sort of, um, capital N nightmare, which is this sort of like the antagonist of the book. And we don't know much about the nightmare other than that um, whoever it is, it often um, would murder and destroy a lot of the animal people uh, who would come from the reflecting world and try and take care of the earth and make it better. Um, so it's interesting to sort of think of it as like a sort of a metaphor for the sort of people and political powers that are trying to prevent us from taking care of the environment. I don't know. I think that makes sense. Yeah, that or just it, pollution in general. Yes. Yes, that's true. Because they never specify, like they never name it as a person. So we have no way of knowing. And maybe that's part of it is, I know a lot of reviews say that they wonder what the nightmare is, but maybe the point is that it's so amorphous because we don't know what we're combating in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. These changes are happening and they're they're problematic, but we don't always know what we need to do to stop them or what we need to be fighting sometimes. And I think it's hard to identify the like one specific source of the problem here. I think it's also as time goes on and science happens, you don't really know the full impact of things until later down the road. Um, I'm thinking about like plastics, 
like when plastic was introduced, it was like great. Like this yeah. is something that could replace like whales, so we don't have to keep killing whales. <laughs> replace the whales with yeah, plastic because then yeah, you had the yeah. oil and that makes like, sense. Containers instead of like the whale blubber and yeah. But then here we are, how many decades later, and microplastics are in everything. It's in rain. It's like raining on all of the forests, and they're realizing that it's very not good for us or animals or the earth in general. So I wonder if the nightmare is just pollution in general and the unknown in terms of if we are doing things today, could they potentially be harmful in the future? And yeah. we don't see the effects until it comes close to home. That's true. That's a really good point. And it also ties to that idea of social media that plays into the text. So this idea of like, is it for good? Is it for harm? We really don't know because Nina actually... Um, tries to use social media as a force for good. She tries to create a viral video with um, Ollie and his friends to sort of raise the funds through this video creator to help save Ami and the toad species. But then she comes to find out that the creator she was using to try to get these funds was basically manipulative and was misusing it and sort of telling people, oh, if you submit a video, you'll get half the funds, but you really don't you only get a small, small portion and it wasn't enough to do what she wanted to do. And it sort of explores this mm -hmm. idea of social media as a force for activism and good, but also the potential harm that can come from it. I think it's also kind of a lesson in make sure you read what you're agreeing to. True. Because they do specifically state, like, read over our terms and conditions. And then when she's like, I thought this was different, they're like, it was in their mm -hmm. terms in this specific section. So I think it's very much like, understanding what you're getting yourself into before you get yourself into it true so or, teens read those terms and conditions yes <laughs> do not just scroll and hit i agree i've probably done that within the past week at least once, i know but don't do that <laughs> or, darcy little badger says don't do that yeah or that or because i know there's some study out there that says that if you read every terms and conditions that you ever clicked agree to it's like 27 years oh my god so but if you are doing something for money through social media make sure you read those specifically in those types of contracts because that's where they will get you yeah that's wild oh my gosh but yes yeah, so that is our sort of brief discussion um there were obviously some spoilers but we wanted to share our thoughts about the book and have a nice little book discussion about it um, the Big Library Read is going to be available from November 2nd to the 16th. So make sure to hop on Libby and get your copy of the book. Check it out. Um, you can borrow it on there. We will also share information about tutorials on how to find access to Libby, which is an app you can download on your phone or you can use it on the web as well. Mm -hmm. You can use, I believe it's Overdrive on the website as well um, so. because yes. it's owned by Overdrive. That's mm -hmm. sort of the company that, that uses Libby. So what we're going to do is we are going to share some of that lovely detail we had um, in terms of some recommendations for further reading. If you really like uh, A Snake Falls to Earth and you're looking for something in that vein, uh, we will also recommend Alatso, which is also by Darcy Little Badger. It was actually her first book before this one. It came out a year before, I believe. So it's about two years old now. Um, it was groundbreaking. It was mm -hmm. very popular. Um, it's another great story in the similar vein of Native American uh, mythology and history and culture. There's also uh, The Firekeeper's Daughter by Angeline Bully. I personally read that one about a year ago and I loved it. It's a great, it's similar. It's a Native um, story about tribes and cultures and like modern life um, growing up in these cultures. But it's also a really cool mystery thriller. So I highly recommend that one. And then there's also Ray Bearer, which is by um, Jordan Ifwaco, 
which is actually a Nigerian mythology sort of story. So similar to this, but talking more from an African mythology point of view. So those are just some great titles to check out um, or any of the resources here. And we hope to see you either in a future book discussion video or one of our book discussion podcasts yes. coming up. Awesome. And then if you have any questions, stop in and ask yeah. us. Call the library at 570-348-3000. So call us, send an email. Send a carrier pigeon. I don't yeah. know how that'll work, but try it. Yeah, feel free to contact us or try stop in, discuss anything. And we hope to see you soon at the yes. library. Awesome. Mm -hmm.